What's up, guys? Rick here with your DFS preview for this week's Charles Schwab Challenge. Last week was unbelievable. How about that PGA Championship? JT and Will Zalatoris uh, dueling it out in a playoff with a couple of other of our guys like Mito and Cam Young uh, in the mix. Good week to be a fan of golf, but we roll on. And we roll on to the Charles Schwab Challenge. A couple of things. I've already released a uh, a tournament preview that I recorded uh, at the Blue Wire Studios inside the win uh, a couple of days ago. So that's already out. You can check that out on the feeds. It's a little bit of a deeper dive into the golf course and the field and some of the storylines. It's fun. It should be informative. And I'll try to hit some of the high notes here. But I recommend you go and check that out. Um, otherwise, I, I mean, let's let's rock and roll. Let's do it. Let's jump in. Colonial Country Club, uh, absolute staple. And I say that all the time. I really, really mean it because this is the longest non-major championship uh, event and course combo. It's like 75 years in a row or 75 years that they've played this tournament. I think there was a couple years during World War II it wasn't played. But uh, the only the only thing that can compete with this is... Augusta National and the Masters. So outside of major championships, this is the longest running um, course that we've had on on the schedule. And that means the data is going to be really, really strong. I'm obviously not looking at 75 years worth of data, but having a really good set of, um, you know, 12 years is like a dream come true. So we haven't had that in the last couple of weeks. Uh, We are going to get it here. This is another uh, Perry Maxwell design, and it's another Perry Maxwell par 70 uh, small green design. Andy Lack, who uh, writes for rickrungood.com, amongst other things, has has his article up already, which is an in-depth dive into Colonial, and um, there's a, a lot of really good nuggets in there. I recommend that you go and check it out. But what I think we're going to, what's going to be different, especially in contrast to last week, is these are tree-lined fairways. Accurate going to be much more important. And you can see that in the metrics as well. Driving accuracy has historically been much more important than driving distance is. Driving accuracy 18th out of 43 courses on the PGA Tour, driving distance 40th out of 43. So driving distance has not really been a correlator to success. Uh, Driving accuracy, on the other hand, has. The other thing is um, the, the areas around these greens are not very difficult. So when I was doing my research, I kind of noticed this, but Andy put a number to it in his article. So he noted that 17 of the top 30 players on the leaderboard last year uh, lost strokes around the green. So I'm showing you that leaderboard right now. In fact, our winner, Jason Kokrak, lost two strokes around the green. Charlie Hoffman lost 2.3. He finished in a tie for third. A lot of guys lost around the green. There's just a lot of other ways to get it done. You don't have to be sharp out of the bunkers. You don't have to be sharp green side uh, to actually get the job done here. Is it a victory week? Maybe it's a victory week. We'll talk about that. Um, but it, I think that's note, noteworthy because I noticed that and that's kind of rare to see that many guys, especially in one specific category, really struggling. I, I think this is going to benefit those that uh, drive it well and or drive it accurately um, to put themselves in a really good position and then hopefully take advantage of it because it's not, it's not an easy golf course, right? I mean, the, the winning scores have been basically between what 15 and 20 under par. A lot of it depends on the wind. A lot of times we get to like 13 under, um, the, the course starts out. So you'll hear a lot about this, this, this week, 
Uh, one and two, very easy holes. So like you want to get off to a really good start if you're starting on that side, and then you have to hold on because you enter the horrible horseshoe, which are basically the three hardest holes on the golf course. And some of the three hardest holes that you get a three hard, uh, hardest hole stretch that you get uh, on the PGA tour. There's, there's a handful of other ones, right? Like uh, they name these holes, like uh, the undertow uh, at Torrey Pines, uh, amen corner. Um, I mean, there's, there's probably like six or seven of them that I, that I think are, are real. A snake pit is another one that I think are always, good. it's always the hard holes, right? They never make a super easy stretch of holes and call it like the go zone or something like that. It's always the hardest holes which I think is kind of interesting. Maybe we need a little bit of a, a, a rebrand for, for, some of these, for some of these events. But um, the par threes are long. I'll have a little nugget on that in, in just a few minutes. And you really got to go out there and, and, and take care of the fours and uh, do it by playing out of the fairway. All right, so here's the cheat sheet. Um, everything you see is from my website, rickrungood.com. It's a giant golf and fantasy uh, and, and betting database and tools and visualization. So check it out. Okay, the top end of the board. So as of right now, six golfers over $10,000 in this field. Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth, Will Zalatoris, Victor Hovland. We'll see if any of these guys withdraw. And I'm speaking specifically about Justin Thomas, and I'm speaking specifically about Will Zalatoris, who played deep into that playoff last night. Or, yeah, well, last night, depending on when you're listening to this, on Sunday night. And I wonder if... That takes a lot out of these guys, and if they'll show up. Zalator is more likely. He's a, he's a Texas guy. It's not a far trip. JT, with all the media obligations, I would be 0% surprised if he actually withdrew from this event. Although, I am going to proceed, as of right now, like there are six golfers in the 10K range. At $11,200, coming off a missed cut, I'll be very tempted to play Scotty Scheffler. And it's going to really determine... Uh, be determined by the ownership. So on Wednesday during the live chat, 3 p.m. Eastern time, Rick Rungood YouTube channel, when we have more of an idea of what the ownership is going to be, I think Scotty's going to be pretty interesting. It wasn't a great miscut. It was probably the biggest shock of last week for me was that Scotty did not play well, missed the cut. He wasn't horrible, though. He lost a stroke off the tee, which he rarely does. He gained two and a half on approach, which in two rounds is great, exactly what we'd expect. That's the same pace, he, basically the same pace he was on when he won the Masters. Um, lost around the green, which is very unusual, and he lost another stroke with the putter, which is very unusual. So the good news is he probably bounces back around the greens. He probably bounces back with the driver. I'm slightly concerned. That now the last two weeks, his last six rounds, he's lost strokes with the putter when generally during this hot stretch, that has been one of the best parts of his game, you know, gaining 2.8 and 4 and 1.7 and 4.2. I mean, that's been an important part of his game. Uh, if he's going to struggle with that, I'm a little bit worried, but we're going back to Texas. Uh, he's got the extra time to figure this out. He did not have to play the grueling weekend of a major championship. Sometimes that can be a benefit. We'll see what the ownership is, but I'm 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 intrigued. Uh, Justin Thomas, he finally did it, right? Boom, he goes the the, the putter. I, I mean, we've talked about this a lot. He was knocking on the door. I'm, I'm sure that's the exact phrase that I've that I've talked about, knocking on the door of of winning and just piling up these top ten finishes. But remember, we've seen Justin Thomas, and we've been tracking this for a long time. He switched that putter. It's it's got a different neck on it, and he does not miss those putts out to the right nearly as frequently anymore. He gained six point three strokes putting at the PGA Championship. That's plenty when you have a game as sharp as as everything else that Justin Thomas does. So we are like. The le the next half of this season or whatever, there are 13 events to go, 14 events to go. 
feels like it's going to be a JT run. Now, I'm not as excited this week because the emotional toll of coming off a PGA championship and then trying to turn around and compete immediately feels like a huge feat, especially when we're like 23 days away from the U.S. Open. So I'm not even sure he's going to play this event. If he does, I will probably just tip my cap to Justin Thomas and say, I'll see you around the corner. Um, If he goes out and plays well this week, I'd be even more impressed, but we don't need it. The the next half of the year is shaping up to be something special for JT. Morikawa, I think, is is very intriguing here because uh, he didn't play particularly well at the PGA Championship. He was never really in... The mix. Whoops, sorry. Scrolled, scrolled a little fast there. Um, and all of those kind of tangible gains that we had seen at times with the putter, we've lost in the last five weeks. He's lost multiple strokes with the putter in four of the last five. He was not nearly as sharp on approach as we've seen him. I'm willing to write that off. That's not that big of a deal. The only uh, the way that I would deploy Morikawa would be in these very high risk, high reward situations because he's still certainly capable of gaining multiple strokes with the putter. Right, he's always been that pop week kind of guy, and if we can get that here or anywhere, he's going to contend. Even when he gained less than a stroke with the putter at the Masters, it was a, it was a top five finish. So that's what we're looking for. So everything is going to be driven off of. Uh, a pop week with the putter. And, uh, you know, statistically, Bentgrass isn't his best surface, but it's not his worst surface, right? He could do he could do worse than that. So, again, probably driven by ownership. Jordan Spieth back in Texas. I'm willing to continue to buy this, guys. I mean, just look at this stat profile. The same thing that we talked about uh, heading into the PGA Championship is still true. There is so much juice to squeeze out of Jordan Spieth. He is nowhere near his statistical ceiling. Nowhere near it. He is gaining a ton of strokes off the tee. He's gaining a ton of strokes on approach. His short game around the green, better than ever. Not better than ever, but always always as good as, as we'd expect it to be. The putter is horrendous. Horrendous. He lost over three strokes putting at the PGA Championship. That now marks six of his last seven he's lost with the putter. I think we could very easily say, without going back and looking, this is probably the worst putting stretch of his career. I don't think that that's unfathomable. And he's got a win, a runner-up, uh, a 34th of the PGA Championship. Like, th- there, there's still more to squeeze out of this. So I'll probably just continue to play him. I, I just think there is there's there's still a lot of stuff there. And like, let's look at his let's look at his uh his his history around Colonial. Well, if it loads for me, there we go. Runner-up last year. 10th the week before or year before, 8th the year before that, a win in 2016, a runner-up finish in 2017, a runner-up finish in 2015, a place that he has putted probably better here than anywhere. I could look that up. Is this the place he's putted at the best? I bet you that's true. Hold on a second. Yeah, so I will compare this. Uh, a little tease for my newsletter. I will, I'll compile the best putting courses for Jordan Spieth and send it out in my newsletter. So you can go to rickrungood.com slash newsletter. There's a link in the description. But he's gaining nearly a stroke per round, 0.87 with the putter in 36 rounds at Colonial. It's it's kind of crazy. So yeah, you're darn right. I'm going to be continuing along with this. Um, Will Zalatoris, again, kind of in a similar boat of, of Justin Thomas. It, it's probably more likely that Zalatoris plays because he's a Texas guy. He might feel more obligated. He did not have the winner's share of media obligations after last week. But 
increased price, uh, maybe a little bit of a hangover. We're going to have plenty of opportunities to play Will Zalatoris. We'll see what the ownership is, but uh, I will probably just say, JT, Will, hat tip, congratulations on a great week. I'll catch up with you down the road. Victor Hovland um, has notably you know, not been thrilled with his game. And he played okay last week. Didn't make didn't make enough birdies. And now, and and first of all, by the way, remember everyone uh, that thought uh, his around the green play would play him out of the PGA Championship last week. Well, he gained four tenths of a stroke around the green. When you're a zero uh, with around the green uh, for Victor Hovland, you're in great shape. Didn't putt particularly well. He was about field average, a little bit worse. Very. Small amount, less than a quarter of a stroke. But look at everything else. He drove it okay. He hit his approach shots okay. We're going to a golf course that will reward you for playing out of the fairway, for driving it well. We are going to a golf course that doesn't care if you are bad around the greens. He's played here once before, right? He's got one trip to Colonial under his belt. I think he finished 23rd. Again, gained strokes around the green that week. That was in 2020 was even with the putter. He's much. He's a much better player now than he was in June of 2020, nearly two years ago. This is a victor week, right? It certainly feels that way. certainly looks that way. Okay, the 9K range. So um, there, there's a lot to talk about here. I, I think as of right now, my favorite is Max Homa. Uh, Max Homa's been been outrageously good. So this is the last uh, 20 rounds. This is the, the power ranking. So this is the last 20 rounds. The best ball strikers in this field over the last 20 rounds. Jordan Spieth, number one. Max Homa, number two. Colin Morikawa, number three, right? Sandwiched in between Jordan Spieth and Colin Morikawa because Homa's gaining a half a stroke off the tee. He's gaining more than a stroke on approach. He's giving a lot of it back around the green. This course doesn't care about that. And he's putting beautifully. I'm enamored. Uh, with Max Homa right now. And honestly, the harder it gets, the better Homa seems to be. This isn't going to be super difficult, but if it does get windy, that's fine. If the winning score is 13 under par, great. Look at these metrics. Look at these metrics. So since the beginning of the season, in which he's already got two wins, he's got another, what, six or seven top 20 finishes. His last three have been a 21st to Zurich, which I don't even care if you care about that. Wins the Wells Fargo, 13th at the Players' Championship, constantly contending, constantly getting better. I'm I'm loving Max Homa this week. So so he's he's probably my favorite uh, in this $9,000 range. I must remind you that Sung JM is, is, is seemingly going to be back in action. So he had to withdraw uh, two weeks ago from a KPGA event, a Korean PGA Tour event, uh, after after getting COVID. And then, he, of course, he did not play the PGA Championship. So we have not seen him since the Zurich. We haven't seen him in a stroke play event since the RBC Heritage. Now, assuming we just kind of get right back to the version of Sungjae that we saw, you got to think there's a lot of upside here. He was eighth at the Masters, gaining in the two ball striking categories. He was 21st at the RBC Heritage, gaining huge from tee to green and losing four strokes putting, which is something he's capable of doing. But look at this. Look at these putting rounds, minus four, or these putting tournaments, minus four, plus 3.7, minus one, plus a half, plus seven, minus three, plus three, plus four and a half. That's what I want. I want consistently good from tee to green, which is what I think we're seeing in basically 15, uh, 12 of the last 15 events from Sungjae and the ability to pop with the putter. That's upside. It might not be safe, but it's upside. So Sungjae and Max Homa, to me, are kind of the class of this $9,000 range. Um 
you know, I worry about Tony Finau, even with, even with Finau's kind of great success at Colonial before second, 23rd, 20th, he is not as long as he's been in the past. He is very inaccurate with the driver. That worries me. I'd almost rather go back to Daniel Berger, who just punted away the PGA championship, who won this event uh, in 2020, who finished 20th. Like, you know, maybe Berger was knocking off the rust, right? We hadn't seen him in so long. That was such a strange event for him at the PGA Championship. I'd almost rather go to Berger than Finau here. But again, I'm focusing a lot on Homa and a lot on on Sungjae. Before I jump into the 8K range, let me do a couple of things. Let me just fire up the Holy Grail because I already I already had it set for um for Colonial. So let's just look at the best golfers in this field at Colonial and start finding some guys in the 8K range. Um, so. First is, is is Kevin Na, who is uh, a past champion of this event. He won it in 2019. And, oops, let me sort this by date so we can actually see these chronologically here. So he's played 44 rounds. He's gaining 1.3. So, so the year before the win, he finished fourth. Since the win, he's missed the cut and finished 32nd. But this is a place that he's played a lot and generally with a, a lot of success. There's kind of a big gap. Now down to Webb Simpson, who, are we starting to see good Webb again? Webb's got a really strange history around Colonial. It's six trips, four missed cuts, but the other two are top fives. That kind of feels like the version of Webb we're getting this year where I'm not so much investing in the safety and security as much as I am in investing in the upside, which is very different than what we've invested in of, of Webb Simpson in the past. Uh, and then Billy Horschel is third around Colonial. It's four made cuts. His best finish was a T19. I I'm not as thrilled about I, like I'm 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 more of a um, Billy Horschel guy than most, but maybe not this week with the way the pricing works. I think that um, I think there's kind of a clear gap from maybe the first seven, eight, or nine golfers in this field, and Billy Horschel might be one of the better guys in the 8K range, but he's kind of being priced too high for me. I think so. It's just kind of a the nature of the pricing here. When you start assessing the rest of this eight thousand dollar range, uh, Tommy Fleetwood last twenty rounds has has gained across the board. You know, I got to give a, a tip of the cap to Tommy Lad. Um, he's he's been very very good over his last twenty, and one of the few guys in this range that's gaining across the board. Uh, going right back to Davis Riley, wouldn't have a problem with that, right? We talk often about how good these young guys are, and look at the stretch of golf from Davis Riley, who again, I, I, I think I said it last week. Whatever he got from Will Zalatoris at Zurich. To, to kind of snap out of a slump and finish fourth. He's backed it up with a fifth place finish at Mexico, a ninth at the Byron Nelson, and then a 13th at the PGA Championship. And he is chugging right along. Look at this name. Bryson DeChambeau, $8,300. $8,300. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that might be the cheapest ever for Bryson. Outside, like, since he's, since he's won. Um, maybe his first couple of starts, maybe four years ago, I can find a time where he was cheaper than this. Let's find out. I'm just going to go through the Holy Grail and find out here. The cheapest price in, in my database. So tour championship, that doesn't count because that's a staggered start. Uh, the API in 2019, he was 6,900. Yeah. Th so basically that 28, that, that 2018 year, he was uh, like in this high sixes and mid sevens. And then I think after he wins, well, they kind of disrespect him. So he won it. He won at the Memorial in June of 2018. And then already by August, 
he was 7,400 at the Northern Trust. He won that, and then they kind of kind of never looked back. But this is very rare to see such a price tag on Bryson, 8,300. So the last time he was that cheap, 2019 Hero World Challenge, but again, that's only 20 golfers. 2019 Tour Championship. So basically, 2019 BMW Championship. That's that's basically the last time. Um, I don't know what to make of it. I'll be I'll be quite honest with you. You know, he has not played. Well, he's not played well, and he hasn't played much. Um, I didn't think he was going to play this. I thought he was targeting Memorial. So we will also kind of keep an eye out for that. Man, it's really tempting. He he, even at his best, does he set up well? You know, he's kind of sprays it all over the place. Although he finished third here in 2020, I'll tell you what, I would be very tempted if he if if you know he plays this event, which you're gonna have to keep an eye on all week long because he went through three practice rounds of the PGA Championship uh, before withdrawing. So I imagine he's at least going to play practice rounds at Colonial. I, I, I'd be pretty tempted. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'll, I'd be pretty tempted to run him out there because I don't think you're going to have to have much of him to be overweight on the field. The $7,000 range. Um, it's got, honestly, it's got a lot of good names at the top of it. Chris Kirk, fine, coming off a of fifth place finish. Gary Woodland, who has uh, two top 15 finishes in the last two years at this event and also really just had one bad round last week. Certainly interested there. But I keep going back to Harold Varner III. So let me go to the power rankings here and just do everybody in this field last 20 rounds. JT's number one, Sam Burns number two, Scotty Scheffler, Mito Pereira, Harold Varner III. Uh, he's ahead of Zal Torres and Finau and Spieth and Kirk and Homa. He's been really, really good. So let's let's look at this. Um, Harold Varner III. Here we go. So here's his results. Look at the ball striking numbers. Uh, driving it, okay. Irons and wedges, excellent. Around the green, great. Putting, uh, horrible week at Southern Hills, uh, which is which he's capable of doing, but he's also capable of gaining 5.3, like he did at the RBC Heritage. Gaining two, like he did at the Masters. Two and a half, like he did at Riviera. Those pop weeks are out there. Um, this season, he's been piling up top 20 finishes. The other thing about Howard Varner III is, and I, um, so I covered this in my tournament preview. There are four par threes that are over all of, or four par threes. All of them are over 190 yards. One of them stretches out to like 240. I don't always love the bucket conversation uh, for proximities or for hole lengths, but Par threes is the one that I can get a little bit behind because everyone's playing from exactly the same spot. Everyone is is playing from a perfect lie. I can get behind that. So I ran the numbers uh, on long par threes, 190 yards or longer. Of everyone on tour, Harold Varner III has the best strokes gained number. He's gaining uh, about 0.12 strokes per hole on par threes that are over 190 yards. So let's do the math here. Let's say Harold plays to his average. Well, that means on the par threes alone, each round, he is gaining a half a stroke to the field. Over four rounds, that is two strokes gained to the field on the par threes alone. 
now it's just a math problem of how he gets to the 10 to 15 or 17 strokes it's going to take to win this golf tournament. But he's already at two and he's played, you know, four out of 18 holes. Uh, that's a rudimentary way to look at it, but that's kind of what, what happens here. Um, so after Varner is John Rahm and Alex Noren, they're not even in the field this week, right? Uh, Mark Leishman's on the list. Cam Percy's on the list. Look who else is on the list. Uh, Jason Kokrak is sixth. Uh, Zach Johnson is seventh. Daniel Berger is 10th. They have all won this event. Zach Johnson's won it twice. Kokrak won it last year. Berger won it in 2020. So now we're also getting like, hey, not only is do I think that um, this could be important, but the guys that have historically played long par threes well have won this event. It's kind of exciting. So combine the really good recent form with the ability to take 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 down the threes. And let's see what he's done at the Charles Schwab. HV3, that's what I'm talking about here. So he's played it uh, three times. Missed the cut in 2017, then didn't play it again until 2020. Had a top 20 there, and then played it last year, and he finished T31. T32, sorry, I can't read. And he lost strokes putting in all three of those. So maybe he can just find three strokes with the putter this week. Could be pretty interesting. Um, So that's the name that kind of in my early research, I just kept coming back to uh, on Varner. Justin Rose is kind of interesting as well. Because now he's got two really good finishes, 14th at the Zurich, 13th at the PGA Championship, and this has been just a great spot for him. Won it in 2018, third in 2020, 20th in 2021. Um, I'd be willing to take like a little bit of a flyer there on on Justin Rose. You know, if you go through the power rankings, you're going to see that, um, you know, guys like uh, Brian Harmon in this range have been okay over the last 20. JJ Spawn has been okay. I don't mind David Lipsky. Lipsky's a flat $7,000. He had the fourth place to finish at the Zurich, a sixth in Mexico. He missed the cut at the Wells Fargo, had a top 25 at the Byron Nelson. So he's starting to put things together. Also finished seventh at Punta Cana. He's starting to put things together a little bit. Um, Matthew Neesmith. Uh, has popped at times on approach, which I think is always exciting. And he's got four decent finishes in a row, 12th, 4th, 31st, and 51st. He's playing some of the best golf of his season right now. But the bottom of the 7K range, I'm not nearly as... Um, as excited about. So we'll, we'll, we'll jump over to the, to the $6,000 range here. So what I've done here is I've just sorted the, the cheat sheet here by golfers in the 6k last 24 rounds sorted by strokes gain total. Brandon Wu, number one. Um, now he gets a lot of, uh, well, I mean, he's played well, but he gets a lot, a big boost from that runner up finish in Mexico. Mark Hubbard, uh, that is not all PGA tour events. I think he gets a little bit of a boost from, from corn Ferry events, but just kind of like comparing, guys on this list to their results. Um, a couple stand out. Peter Malnati, 6,800, who's made at least five cuts in a row, including a ninth place finish at the Byron Nelson. He's a very streaky golfer. The other one that's kind of interesting is, is, is JT Poston. And I'll show you his stat profile in a second. But look at his last four recent starts. He has two top nines and two missed cuts. Look at his last four trips to Colonial. Two top 20s, two missed cuts. So it is not at all a safe play. But let me show you something that I think is at least encouraging about JT Poston uh, here recently in terms of the advanced metrics. So he's always been a very good putter, but he kind of got like this unbelievable slump from the end of last year to basically Valspar. And now recently 
he's back to putting well. Gain three, gain two, gain three and a half, gained a small amount over his last four. Um, the approach play, though, this is a little bit of a of an improvement. You know, the last four, he's gained strokes on approach in three of them. That's kind of unusual. He's not really that good of an iron player and never really has been. So we're in the midst of a pretty good stretch there. And he's also driving it well. Gained four at the RBC Heritage, a course that asks you to be precise instead of long. Um, TPC Potomac. Gain 2.8 there, a course that asks you to be precise, not long. What is Colonial going to ask you to do? To be precise, not long. Uh, this feels like one of the better spots that you could roll out JT Poston if you were looking for that, that deep flyer. Kurt Kitayama is also on this list. Kurt Kitayama is kind of getting disrespected here. Um, you know, he he missed the cut to Byron Nelson. Before that, he's been on a really good run. He had the deep run at Honda. He popped up again in Mexico, played well at, at the Wells Fargo. The other thing with him... And again, it's it's hard to look at this and say, okay, Kurt Kitayama, $6,400. Like, he's going to win me all the DraftKings money. Is that true? Maybe, probably not. He's probably going to make you money in the jock market, right? So I, I have the jock market data here. This is stock market DFS. And what you'll notice is over the last 20, or excuse me, 12 markets, Kurt Kitayama is basically the most profitable guy in the market. He's averaging you a return on your investment of 93%. 12 markets, 93%. Has never won an event. Hasn't won. But he's just constantly outperforming his expectation. Bo Hostler, Peter Malnati, Sebastian Munoz, Davis Riley, all on that list, right? No wins outperforming their expectations in a big way. That's what I love about Jock Market. So um, you should play. Use the code Rick. There's a link in the description. I have the stats for free on my website. You can check that out. But um, that's really how I like deploying a lot of these $6,000 guys because there's there's other markets that are much more profitable for them. And if you're interested, uh, Joe Idonia and myself are going to do a, a power hour, a jock market power hour on Wednesday night at uh, 8.15 p.m. Eastern time. We'll walk you through all of that. But that's that's what I take out of the $6,000 range. Poston, Kitayama, I think are goes. Malnati, I think, is an interesting option. Um, outside of that, let me just look at some of the accurate golfers real quick. Adam Long. You know, and, and look at kind of look at look at how the results match up to it, right? Adam Long um gains more fairways uh to the field than distance. He loses distance to the field, has three top 20s in his last two trips to Colonial. Okay, that makes sense. Uh Kevin Streelman. You know, here's his last five years. He's got three top 31s, uh, including a 20th last year and an 18th in 2017. You know, here's here's two more top 20s from Russell Knox, another guy who's just more accurate than he is than he is long. So this kind of starts to not only pass the data test, but it starts to pass the the sniff test as well. Okay, let's run a model and see what we can find. All right, so only 120 golfers in this field probably should have mentioned uh, that earlier. Let's do last 24 rounds and. Let's be smart about this. So I'm going to use, I'm going to create my own uh, strokes gained off the tee, but I'm going to put an emphasis on accuracy, 25 there and 10 on distance. All right. So that is, that is a big emphasis on off the tee play, but more so in accuracy than distance. Then I am going to, um, I'm going to do uh, strokes gained approach at just like 20. And then I'm going to do par three scoring at like 15 because there's some flaws with that as well, but that's okay. Uh, and then I'm going to do nothing around the green and I want to do a little bit on putting. 
So I'll do like 15 on putting and then I've got 15 left. And I think the answer here is going to be uh, probably birdie or better percent. Okay, this is kind of a, a unique little build, but I like this. Okay, so let's do that. We'll close it up. We will sort to see who my number one golfer is. Oh boy, oh my gosh. Okay, so look at this, couple of items. So Sam Burns, number one. Colin Morikawa, two. Abraham Answer three. Sung J four. Victor, five. Notice the score here. Um, normally, the value of the top golfers is 85 to 95, something like that. With 100 being, 100 is saying, of all the inputs that you put in, this guy's like the best at all of them. That would be 100. So it's almost impossible to get 100 unless you just put all your weights on one thing. But normally we see 85, 88, 93 as the top golfer. This is 78. And the first five guys are separated by one point. So Victor Hovland is a 77.45. Sam Burns is a 78.53. That's number five and number one. Very, very tight here. So what does that tell me? It tells me that based on my inputs, there is not a clear guy, right? That Or, or, or even a lot of guys don't fit all of these things. It's just a lot more random. It also tells me there is not a huge difference between a lot of these top guys, at least for the model that I ran. So what that will probably do for me is make me a bit more random and a bit more game theory oriented. So I will probably add, you know, randomness when I, when I build my lineups. Um, but I will also likely play game theory, right? Like if, if, if everybody's this close and there's not a lot of great options, is it worth eating a lot of chalk? It's a good question. Uh, to round out the rest of my top 10. So JT is six. Scotty is seven. Davis Riley, eight. Wow. Joel Damon is nine. And Kevin Nas, 10. No surprise there. Max Home is 12 for me. So th that this is, um, this is a very unique result. Very, very unique. Let me just sort this by salary and see where some of these guys came in. Yeah, I mean, Spieth gets crushed on the putting stuff because um, he's been so bad with the putter. But again... Always putted well at Colonial. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's a very unique week. Um, we will have to parse it out. So I'll have another show on Tuesday. That'll be a live show, 12 p.m. Eastern time, a Wednesday live show, a Wednesday jock market power hour. Um, lots of good stuff coming your way. Tweet me at Rick Run Good. Leave a comment below. Best of luck this week. I'll talk to you guys soon.